Praise the Lord. Who here doesn't like a wedding? Anybody? We know the, the enemy of souls doesn't like weddings. But the first thing we see, or we're all anticipating, is the bride to arrive. Okay? The bride arrives. That happens to be my wife, by the way, in case you didn't know. And that's 20-some years ago. We had two weddings. First wedding, I performed myself with her and God. And, and um, our second wedding took place in South Park in Allegheny County. And we had a great outdoor wedding. It was beautiful, and we loved it. Because everybody else got to be there, okay? And the bride arrives, the groom is ready, and then they're united in marriage. And then what happens? Consummation, okay? You may kiss your bride, and that's a symbolic act of the two becoming one, okay? That's a symbolic act. And then you have the happy couple, right? It's a long time ago. Come on, I'm going gray. We were happy. The bride and the groom are always happy to be together. <clears throat> Excuse me. But as I said, the enemy of souls hates weddings. The enemy of souls has perverted the marriage covenant, the covenant of God and His people, the covenant that was struck with Christ. You see, according to Ephesians chapter 5 and uh, verses 25 to 30-something, marriage is a mysterious picture of our relationship with Christ. With Christ. You can take that down now. <laughs> People can compare and see how old I am. That's okay. I, I'm not vain. I, if I were, that wouldn't be up there. But as I said, the, the enemy has perverted God's perfect marriage covenant. And he also does everything in his power to stop God's people from preparing for the wedding supper of the Lamb. He doesn't want us to be prepared. And there's good reason for Him not wanting us to be prepared. This is why some of the doctrines are so popular within the church. They say, you don't have to do anything. Jesus paid it all. But it's also why believers need to know who they are in Christ. And this was the purpose of this series of messages. Who are you? You, collectively, are part of the bride of Christ. And we're going to learn that we're called to be the bride of Christ. And I know that's hard for us guys. Will and I have talked many times about how hard it is for us guys to know what it's like to be a bride, because we don't have a clue. We don't have a clue. We don't. Let's face it, guys. We don't know what it's like to be a bride or to prepare like a bride. Before we move on, I want us to pray.
Father, we need You. We are helpless without You. We know that You're in control. We know, Lord, that we are in these last days under attack, and we know it. We know that everything is in place to finally overcome adversity. Everything is in place, and we're waiting for Christ, and He's waiting for His bride to be prepared. And so, Father, as we, Your people, and among Your people, the many before us and those who may come after us, as we prepare by looking into Your Word to see what it means to be Your bride, to be the bride of Christ, I ask that You would open our hearts. Take away any distractions, Lord. Erase and eliminate all false teaching. Shine Your light of wisdom and discernment upon us, Father, and help us to overcome adversity. We want Your authentic Holy Spirit power to reign here and in our individual lives. Overwhelm us with Your Spirit-filled Word. Make us people of love for You and our neighbor and, as Rich said earlier, even our enemies. Lord, please grant to Your servant by Your Spirit that with all boldness I may speak Your Word through the name of Yahushua, the one we call Jesus. Help me speak clearly and yet concisely, Father, and I surrender to You for Your use. Give me unction, I pray. Unction to speak by Your Spirit what each of us needs to receive. I pray this in His mighty and matchless name and all of God's people said, Amen. We're going to open with Revelation chapter 19. We're going to begin at verse 1 and read through verse 10. You can find that on page 1895 if you care to follow along. And the Bible's there in your seats. And we have more of those that are in boxes over at my house, and we just haven't gotten them over here. We are going to get them over. And if you need a Bible, take the one that's in the seat there with you, okay? We don't want you to be without a Bible. Revelation chapter 19, after these things... I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. Now, I'm going to give you just a little note there. They're jumping for joy, okay? This isn't just Alleluia. No, it's Alleluia. They're excited, okay? For true and righteous are His judgments. True and righteous are His judgments. Because He has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And He has avenged on her the blood of His servants shed by her. Again, they said, Alleluia. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. That doesn't sound like a real rejoicing kind of a thing, does it? I mean, there's a punishment going on at the very same time as this wedding, all right? 
Again they said, Alleluia. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped, worshipped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants and those who fear Him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and the sound of a mighty thundering, of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready." And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, there's a lot in there. I trust that God will add His blessing to the reading and hearing of His Word. We're not going to break out every piece of that, okay? We're focusing on the wedding supper. The wedding supper. As our text begins, we hear John talking about this great multitude of voices that he hears, praising God, rejoicing. And so often I think of how so many church folks don't, they don't get excited about God. It's kind of frozen, chosen. But God wants rejoicing. He wants us to praise Him. He wants us to worship Him. He wants us to get excited about Him. It's okay to get excited about God. Debbie said, I feel like jumping up and down. I said, jump up and down, Debbie, jump up and down. Get excited. We're right on the cusp of that time which is written. They were praising God for His power to save. They were praising God because His judgments are honest and fair. He only does what is exactly right and good. Now, that might be hard for us to comprehend because when we see things going wrong in the world, we wonder, how could this be right and good in the eyes of God? God's judgment goes beyond each and every one of us. And then John goes on to relate their comments about the great whore who ruined the earth with her immorality, God's condemnation of her for murdering His servants. And we're not going to break that out, okay? That it could be a series of messages in and of itself. There are many texts of Scripture that will help us to comprehend what He's saying there. It's not a literal whore. It's a figurative picture of a great multitude, and we're seeing it in our world today. The great crowd then says the smoke of her torment will rise forever and ever. 
And that reminded me, as I was preparing the message of what's written in Revelation 14, and I believe it's verse 12. No, excuse me. Anyway, the 14th chapter of Revelation. If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. They have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark on, of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. And then he gives us what that is. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. See, there's two people that we're hearing about at that time. There are those who are rejoicing. There are those who are a part of that marriage. Then there are those who are not, very clearly. And the sad reality is their torment lasts forever. That is what's written. It doesn't matter what somebody else says. What matters is what God says. This is our Lord. This is His Word. He says their torment lasts forever. And I know this is supposed to be a joyous occasion, right? We're talking about a wedding. We're not talking about eternal damnation, Pastor. What are you bringing this up for? Because it's happening at the same time. They're both happening at the same time. We have this great rejoicing, and then we have this suffering that's going on. And how do I put that together? Think about it. The one we said, Jesus said, the last, we call him Jesus, his name's Yahushua. So the last shall be first, and the first last, for many be called, but few chosen. That's in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 16. But then a little later... In Matthew chapter 22, he says it again. So there's the testimony of two witnesses. Many are called, but few are chosen. In Revelation 19.4, we read that all will bow down and worship Almighty God who sits on the throne saying, Amen and Alleluia. That means truly. Amen means truly. Sometimes in the old texts you see, Amen, Amen, it means truly, truly. Truly praise Jehovah. Praise Almighty God. That's what Alleluia means. Praise be to God. Praise be to the Almighty. Praise Jehovah. If you look at the root words, that's his name. That's one of the, the names that's given to him. In Revelation 19.5, we heard that the, a voice will come out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye His servants, and ye that fear Him, both small and great. And all that fear Him, do you fear Him? Do you really fear Almighty God? Do you really understand that He is in control, as Cindy said? Do you really comprehend that He is the one we are to revere? Because the Scripture tells us to praise Him if, in fact, we fear Him. So then we come to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and this is the primary focus of the message today. We've got to get that stuff out of the way so we can get to this. 
It's written in Revelation 19.6, I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. He reigns over everything, no matter what. And Cindy and I didn't talk about the message before. We, we had no comp. She didn't know. No, she had no idea. But it is God who is in control. So the Spirit spoke through her so that we would all hear that in advance of the message, so that we really get it seated. God is in control. No matter what it looks like in the world, God is in control. The great crowd roars praise to Almighty God. Roars praise. Do you ever hear mighty waters, mighty rushing waters? You ever been beside water that was rapidly moving? Do you ever, you know the roar of that water? I've been in the forest and I can hear water off in the distance whenever there's been either a melted snow or a heavy rainfall. It makes such a thunderous noise, and this is why he's comparing it to that, because you can't make out the voices individually. It is this roaring crowd of praise and worship to Almighty God. Then in verse 7, we hear more rejoicing and more honoring of God, because the marriage of the Lamb is come. That final consummation... The consummation, the bride and the lamb are coming together. And they're rejoicing over that. Everybody's rejoicing. They're jumping for joy. That's what the Greek word gives the indication of. All who are present are anxiously awaiting this great marriage. And if you've ever participated in a wedding, you know what that kind of anticipation is. You want not, you don't just want it to come on, get along, and happen. You're really waiting. You want to see the bride. You want to see what splendor. No matter how humble the circumstances are, and I've been in some very humble circumstances where weddings were a little less than what maybe most people are accustomed to in this country. But even at the most humble of weddings, the bride prepares. Anyone who has attended a wedding knows that. The second part of verse 7 tells us, His wife hath made herself ready. She made herself ready. And, you know, this is one of the points of contention with some of these doctrines that are floating around in Christianity today. Because they say, well, the church can't be the bride of Christ because, after all, the church doesn't have anything to do. The church doesn't have to prepare. Christ did all that. All we have to do is show up. And they dispute the many passages of Scripture that make it absolutely clear that the Scripture makes it clear, the Scripture makes it clear that the church is the bride of Christ. You know, God was married to Israel, but Israel, and, and this is according to God's Word, Israel went a-whoring, and God divorced Israel. And people tell me, God hates divorce. Yes, He does. It didn't stop Him from divorcing 
Israel. And then he cut a new covenant with his son, and now we're a part of the bride through Christ. It's a mystery. That's what Ephesians tells us. It's a mystery. But that's what is true. And we can accept it because God says so. And we'll get to that. All brides prepare for their wedding. And it may just be in the most poorest nations that they take a bath. It might be the only thing they get to do. Put on whatever clothing they have that is the best that they have, but they take a bath. That's part of the preparation. The bride prepares herself. Does the bridegroom prepare the bride? No. And yet with Christ... We know that He made it possible. And so we've got to reconcile that because the Scripture says the bride has prepared herself. And it gives us some other things about that. So I have to ask, do you think that those people that say we have nothing to do, do you think they're correct or do you think maybe they're mistaken? Those that say we have nothing to do, we have no preparations, God's Word says the bride prepares herself. I believe they're mistaken, and I think some of them are deceived. And some people convert from understanding the truth to understanding lies. In fact, some of you may have met some of those people. In fact, I know at least one of you in this room has, because you've shared that with me. But hear what's written in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. we look in verse 26 there, we see the picture is of baptism. And according to Vincent's word studies, some find a reference to the bride's bath before marriage. When we enter the water of baptism, we're buried in the likeness of His death. We're raised in the likeness of His resurrection. He does the cleansing. And so the bride prepares herself by stepping into the water. Christ did the work that brings the cleansing. Now it's written in John chapter 15, in verse 3, Now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. The word of God. The word of God cleanses you. Now, could you... Now, I can talk to this. I'll tell you right now. I know this is true. Could you, you, after being clean, could you get yourself dirty? Of course you can, right? And so what happens? You've got to go to Him. He's the one that forgives. He's the one that did the work. You've got to turn to Him. The word in the Bible that people hate is repent. Repentance turning, leaving that which got you dirty, and getting back into that which got you clean. 
with all the work I've been doing physically, I know what it's like to be dirty. You know, I'm working in places without a shower. <gasps> Gasp! Seriously, Pastor? Yeah. Three days, four days sometimes. And quite honestly, I'm not going to step in here in that condition. Not, just not, okay? But when I'm working in the woods, some of you got to see me in my woodsy kind of clothes the other night. I don't care what I smell like. I don't care how dirty I get. I want to get the work done. And sometimes when we're in the ministry and we're doing work in the ministry, we're getting dirty spiritually, and we've got to go to the Lord to get cleaned up. It happens. Stuff jumps on us, or it attacks us, or whatever, however you want to put it. But back to the message. Those who accept His Word, those who receive and accept His work, are cleaned by it. So your participation in the preparation is absolutely certain in Scripture. And I'll give you some texts that support that. In Matthew chapter 25, and we covered this once before a few weeks ago, then the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. This is the one we call Jesus speaking, okay? He's the one giving the teaching. So pay attention, because if He says it, then we need to know that it's true. And these ten virgins took their lamps, went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five of them were otherwise. Oh, excuse me, five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Does that give you a picture of not being prepared? Oh, yeah. Five of them were not prepared. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps while the bridegroom tarried, while they all slumbered and slept. At midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to him, to meet him. And all those virgins arose. Remember, they're all the same. They're all virgins. They all have lamps. They all fell asleep. We covered this in the message previously. I don't want to go into all those details, but it's important that you understand these are all equal. And... The virgins arose, they trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps have gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there not be enough for us and you, but go you rather than them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. They weren't prepared. They were not prepared. The bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, verily, that's truly, I say unto you, I know you not. I don't want to hear that. I don't think any of you want to hear that. I don't think anybody within the sound of my voice wants to hear that. And yet he says those that were not prepared are going to hear that. That's what he says. Watch, therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Watch. Be on guard. Be prepared. This is what our Lord Himself is saying. And He's speaking to His church all through time. 
Not just then, not just those people that received that teaching on that day at that place. He's talking to all of us. Now, it's written in Isaiah 52 in verse 1. Awake, awake, put on strength, O Zion, put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for henceforth there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. Give us hearts of flesh, Lord. See, because He tells us in His Word that the uncircumcised are those whose hearts have not been purified by Christ. The unclean don't get in. They're not prepared. In Matthew chapter 22, we hear our Lord spoke to His followers there. He spoke again by parables, and He said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. He's saying, The party's ready. The food is there. Everything's prepared. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it. And they went their way, one to their farm, another to their merchandise. And the remnant took his servants, the rest of them took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Now, if we read the Scriptures, we see where God's people, His bride, killed the prophets. They ignored them, they treated them wrongly, and they killed the prophets. Now, what did it, what was written there in Revelation? He said the, the, the great whore killed his servants, okay? you got to get this now. And destroy, here's, here's what he says, and the remnant took his servants and treated them spitely and slew them. But when the king heard of this, he was angry, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not. Were not what? You got it up there. We're not worthy. They were asked to come, but they weren't worthy. Go you therefore into the highways, and as many as you find, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Do you hear the connection, folks? Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as you shall find, bid them to the marriage. Come on. So these servants went out into the highways and gathered together as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. So wait a minute, there's good and bad, but somebody wasn't dressed properly. They weren't prepared for the wedding. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away. Now imagine that, being bound hand and foot and taken away. You're not walking on your own unless you're hobbling, okay? If anybody ever saw the perp walk, you'd know what I'm talking about. They're hobbling because they got chains on. Bind him hand and foot, take him away. Cast him into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called. Can anybody finish that for me? Few were chosen. 
Phew! The, the lane is narrow. In Revelation 19, in verse 8, we heard this. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. We've got nothing to do, they say. But the Scripture says that we're metaphorically dressed in the righteousness that we have done. And where does that come from? It comes out of our salvation. It comes out of the work that Christ gives us to do. It is not what we just conjure up. We do it because we're His, and we belong to Him, and we're preparing. Think about that the next time you have an opportunity to do something that God asks you to do. There's an opportunity to put another thread in that bright linen that you'll be wearing. The Greek word that's translated righteousness means equitable deeds. Equitable. It represents the excellent things that God's people have done. In Revelation chapter 3, early on, we hear John, the revelator, John, the beloved apostle, John who wrote the gospel by the same name, John who wrote the three epistles by the same name, John wrote that thou hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. Do you think that was just for then? Was that only for that time? Was that only for the time of persecution that they were going through, or was it for all time and for all over the world, for all believers? You know the answer. It was for all time, all over the world. And I, he goes on to say, will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Now, this is our Lord speaking, okay, the one we call Jesus, Yahashua. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Who has the power to remove a name from the book of life? And those who tell you you have nothing to do say, nobody. Your name is in the book of life. You it can't come out. But Moses said, blot my name from your book, but save the people. He was offering himself as a sacrifice. He's a type of Christ. And Christ paid the price. He has the authority to take a name out of the book because if he says, I will not, it means that he can. And there are those who would deny that. Say, no way, that's not possible. But God's Word makes it true. He says so. I'm going with what he said. I'm not taking any chances. Those who believe that they can live like hell and still enter heaven, they've got it terribly wrong. They are mistaken. They are absolutely mistaken. You may not live like hell and enter the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's not going to happen. The Scripture is clear. And speaking to the lukewarm church, our Lord said, and this is in Revelation chapter 3 also, I counsel thee, Laodicea was the lukewarm church, and this is probably the church age we're in now, the lukewarm church. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, 
Let the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, and thou, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame. Now, this is Christ speaking, and He died. He says He overcame. As I also overcame and am set down with my Father in His throne, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. It is a matter of preparing, overcoming temptation. Who empowers you to do that? Anybody? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables you and empowers you to break free from the temptation. It's part of your preparation, because every time that you resist that temptation, you're strengthened against the next one. Anybody who's ever been in addiction knows that. You resist the temptation, you're stronger for the next one. You resist the temptation, you're stronger for the next one. You resist the temptation, you're stronger for the next one. You resist the temptation, and you're a contender. And it doesn't get you. And you stand, and you overcome, and you overcome, and you overcome. Because Almighty God is with you. We have to remember this. We must be overcomers. In fact, as the Scripture says, we're more than overcomers. In Romans chapter 13, it's written, The night is far spent. The day is at hand. This was 2,000 years ago. The day is at hand. Do you think maybe we're just a touch bit closer? That the day really is at hand? The day is at hand. Let us, therefore, cast off the works of darkness. Do you hear your preparation work there? Cast off the works of darkness. It's part of your preparation as the bride. Cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. That's Christ. In short, it is Christ. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness. There's a lot of people that could learn from that Scripture. Not in chambering and wantonness, chambering, bedding down, wantonness, fleshly lust. not in strife, not in envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. He's speaking to believers. He's not preaching to unbelievers, okay? And you have unbelievers who say, hey, I don't have to do anything. They're right. They're not called to do anything except cry, accept Christ. And then... The Scripture is full of things that we do. The righteous acts of the saints provide that clothing, that garment. In Galatians chapter 3, it's written, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So he's instructing there. He's put on Christ. And this is the same Paul that is misquoted and misunderstood 
by people who say we have nothing else to do. They deny that baptism is even necessary. Well, if he says do it, I'm going to do it. To me, that's necessary because he says to do it. Many of you have been baptized into Christ and put on Christ. And there's all these word wranglings that happen, and I'm not going to get into all that. In Ephesians chapter 4, it's written that you put off concerning the former conversation, your former behavior, the old man, your old woman, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on a new one, the new man or new woman, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Put on Christ. Put on Christ. If you know that it's contrary to God's will... Walk away from it, whatever it is. Yeah, I had a simple thing happen last night. I was coming back, it was dark, and I got to an intersection where I could turn left and come home, or I could go straight and come home. And the Spirit was very clearly pointing out to me, don't go left. That's my typical way of going. That is sort of the shortest way to the highway. And so I said, okay, like I'm getting ready to turn left, and it was like, no. That was what was impressed upon me. Do not go that way. Okay. Now, I knew, because I know the, the voice of the Lord as He speaks unto my heart, I knew that He didn't want me to go that way for some reason. And so for me to know what is right and to go contrary to it is wrong for me. I'm not saying it's wrong for you to turn left, and I'm not telling you, oh, don't turn left. No, I'm telling you when the voice of the Lord speaks to you, when the Holy Spirit prompts you from within, you need to do or don't do whatever it is that He says to do or don't do. It's important. This is part of your preparation as the bride. You learn to heed the voice of the Spirit. Put on the new. Give thee charge. I give thee charge. This is Paul writing to Timothy. In the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who put Pontius Pilate, before Pontius Pilate, witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in His times He shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Keep the commandment without spot. We have preparations as the bride. In First Peter, different writer, it's written, But as He which has cost, called you is holy, so ye, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. In other words, in all your behavior, the way that you live, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father without respect to persons, judge us according who, without respect of persons, judges according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning here, remember your strangers, foreigners, sojourning, in fear, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily 
was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by Him do believe in God, that raised Him up from the dead and gave Him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Do you hear right there in that passage? And if you didn't hear it, I want you to read it over again at home. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 to 21. You hear faith and living, go, living rightly go hand in hand just like a married couple. Faith without works is dead. Thus it is written. Okay? So I'll wrap this up. You see, the Word of God is clear. It is absolutely clear. As we live here on earth, we are called to live as the bride of Christ. Now, I don't know about any of you, but if I had learned that my bride was unfaithful, even up until the moment that we were to be united, do you think for a moment that I would have allowed her to be my bride? Would any of you, if you found that your prospective spouse was going and becoming and being unfaithful to you, do you think for a moment that you'd say, oh yeah, that's good, I, I paid for that? Seriously, folks, think about it. Doesn't make a bit of sense. I've seen YouTube videos where the bride or the groom, whichever one, was caught in infidelity at the very moment they're about to get married. It infuriated me. And I thought, that's the kind of fury that God would have toward a spouse that's unfaithful. We may not think that we don't have to be prepared for the wedding. Those who live as the bride here will live as the bride of Christ in eternity. In intimate union, we will be with Him forever and ever. Thus it is written. In Revelation 19 and verse 9, we read this, And he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Remember, the messenger was delivering the message to John. He said, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But not so for those who aren't. And we may not think that somehow that we can just go on living any way we choose, folks. The time is short. If time continues in 20 years, some of us won't be here any longer. God will take us home. And when we stand before Him, are our hands going to be clean? It is serious. It's really important. And we're talking about a joyous, festive time of rejoicing in Christ because we are the bride. But we may not ignore the fact that there will be, at the very same time, those who are suffering. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will... Let him take of the water of life freely, and that water is Christ. It's living water. It's a river of life that flows out from the throne. It's written in another place. He wants you to be prepared. 
Thus saith the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are Your people. But Lord, if there be any among us who are not certain, they're not prepared, and any who are perhaps related to us in any way, shape, or form who are not prepared as the bride, I ask as Your servant here to awake them out of sleep. That each of us would be prepared as the bride, here and now, and when we arrive there, I pray in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. I suppose we could receive an offering.